What is up, Fence fam, and welcome to the Fence Expert Podcast, a podcast devoted to anything and everything fence. Whether it's tools, guests, or answering your fence-related questions, you've come to the right place. This podcast is sponsored by OZFence.Store, your one-stop shop for all your fencing-related hardware. Right now, they're offering a free shipping of $150 or more, and if you use the discount code PODCAST, you can save 15% in addition to the free shipping. With all that being said, let's dive into this week's episode. What is up, Fence fam? So good to see you guys again. Two weeks in a row. Wait, no, we didn't have... Actually, the show is like three weeks in a row. I haven't seen you guys in a couple weeks. Shout out to Caleb and the team for taking over last week out of town for a little uh, birthday adventure. So glad you guys are back with us again. If you guys are listening to the podcast, you are listening to a recorded version of a live conversation that I host most every Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Central. Uh, if you'd like to have your questions answered real time, check me out. It's on uh, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn. If you pretty much wherever you watch video content, there's a good chance you'll catch it Saturday mornings, 10 a.m. Just search Joe Everest and you'll find it. For those of you joining live, thank you so much. I appreciate you guys showing up and interacting with us, both, both myself and the guests. It always makes this so much better. Uh, if you guys read the comments, you know the conversation we're getting ready to have is about finance, business finance, just basically knowing your numbers and what to do with them. We're going to get to that here in just a second. First, I'd like to thank the team at Expert Professional Wood Care for making this live possible. Guys, I like this brand a lot. I like Caleb and Ashley personally. Uh, just legitimate and the team. I don't want to leave the team out, I guess. Legitimately good people. I uh, use their products exclusively before they sponsored the show. But uh, I would, if you're looking for a stain company, recommend you at least trying out their products. I think you'll really like it. Say hi to a few people really quick because when we start this conversation, I think we're going to dive into it for a little while. So I want to say hi to you guys first. Front Rock Fences says, Good morning from Canada. Good to see you again. It was absolutely great to meet you guys at the Finch Show. Uh, if you guys saw us at the Finch Show, thank you so much for coming up and saying hi for the 2023 Finch Show and Security Expo there in Vegas. Great time. Shout out to Brian and the team for putting on a heck of a show. Somebody else we saw at the Finch Show, Chris Kasurk, Kasurk Distributors. Good morning from Philly. Good morning. City of Burley Love. I love it. Rebecca Marin. Hello, Rebecca. Good morning from Kissimmee, Florida. I bet it's nicer there than it is here at the moment. I'm not even going to try the name. I'm going to butcher it. I know it. And I'm just going to leave that alone. But I, I'm going to tell you good morning, but it's not good morning there. And Sydney, Australia, appreciate you tuning in. Mallard Fence, good morning from Texas. Hello, Texas and Mallard Fence. Speaking of Texas, Jeremy is here. Good morning from Fort Worth. Good morning, Jeremy. Al Martins, Al, hello. He's either coming to us. Well, he could be coming to us from a lot of places. I, I live vicariously through Al's uh, travel journals that I see on Facebook and such, but either in the Great White North or maybe down in Florida. Mallard Fence, Joe, where can I find specs or blueprints to go off to help build a large cantilever gate? It's a good question. So uh, both AFA and FWA have cut sheets available, I believe. I've used them in the past. I haven't used them recently, but uh, they typically have shop drawings to go off of. Um, I saw that you had this comment also in the Facebook group, so it's interesting to see the responses there. Jonathan, good morning, Fence fam. Good morning, Jonathan. Pro Watch Missouri, hello. Good morning. It is morning in Australia. One 
1 a.m. Good grief. And you guys are a day ahead, so it's 1 a.m. tomorrow. Very good. Appreciate you tuning in. Guys, if you read the description, you know exactly who's coming on. I'm going to bring him up and let him introduce himself to you guys. But get your financing questions ready for Andrew. Andrew, how are you? Good morning, Joe. I'm wonderful, sir. Thank you for having me. Of course. I appreciate you making time to come on on Saturday morning. Of course. Andrew, I've seen you. I've watched you from afar on, on Facebook, just in the different Facebook groups and that sort of thing. But for the folks out there that may not know you, uh, what, how about a brief introduction? Sure. So um, I'm the owner and president of Atlas Financial Strategies. We're a fee-based uh, financial planning, business planning, and estate planning firm. We're out of Pensacola, Florida. Um, we've been lucky enough to have been voted the area's best financial advisor a total of 17 times and been recognized by Forbes as um, part of the top 50 financial professionals in the state of Florida for the last two years in a row. Very good. You know a thing or two about finance. If not, I at least play one on TV. (laughs) Now, and and it seems like not only finance, but specifically, maybe not specifically, but to include contractors. Would that be Yes. Yes, sir. So um, where we really separate ourselves is working with business owners. And I would say if I had to guess, uh, probably a little over half of our business owner clients are some sort of contractor. Okay. Well, we had we had a conversation before it got started, just kind of talking about where the show's going to go. And and I think we hit the nail on the head when we were talking about. I think when you see when you see fencing contractors get into trouble, is not typically right in the beginning, right? So it's typically maybe a few years later. And the typical life cycle I'm talking about is. You know, a fencing contractor typically starts working out for someone else or working for a, a subcontractor to a fence company, but typically starts out, a, out as a helper somewhere, starts taking on jobs on nights and weekends, just as they have extra time available, they have this skill, they'll share this skill with the community. And then they start taking on, taking on a few more projects and a few more projects. And, and next thing you know, they wake up one morning and they're only working for themselves now. Uh, they've left either the full-time job or they've left the subcontractor they're working for. And, and now they're, they're doing their own thing because they are very good at what they do. They found success in that. Uh, and they do this for a few years. They've maybe saved up some money, squirreled away, you know, hopefully enough to live on for a year or so while they get their business figured out. Um, two or three years later, they find themselves in a little bit of a pickle because they've spit through the savings. The significant others ticked. We're coming up on kind of the holiday season. So maybe Christmas isn't as flush as it once has been. And they didn't get to go on vacation this summer because dad was busy building fence. And all of a sudden life starts getting increasingly more difficult because while they were an incredibly skilled craftsman, they, there are guys that are very good at building fence, but maybe not as skilled at running a business. They want to spend their time building fence, which is what they're great at, uh, but they neglect the business. And in the end, maybe through no fault of their own, they still end up doing quite a bit of damage to themselves and their family, to the community. And ultimately, in a lot of instances, we end up losing these contractors. Yeah, unfortunately, I, you know, kind of like you and I were talking about before, I think you'd be better off 
um, being a great business owner, not knowing anything about how to build a fence and starting a fence business. I always use like a baker as I'm like, you can be the best baker in the world. That doesn't mean you should open a bakery. Now, I'm not discouraging people from, um, you know, starting a fence business. If, sure. you know, y'all are in the earlier stages, any listeners, if you're in the earlier stages of your business or contemplating, you know, kind of going out on your own. Um, but it would certainly be worth um, learning not just how to do your trade well, which presumably you're, you're light years ahead of where I would be or the normal person would be. Sure. Um, but learn, you know, the basics of running a business, because at some point, if you don't already, you're going to have employees, you're going to have all the things that come along with, you know, insurances and vehicles and just all the stuff that goes along with, um, you know, running a business that, again, the numbers side of things is arguably one of probably in the top three, I would, you know, if I had to put it somewhere, top three important things um that a business owner needs to know and it's just one of those things that nobody ever teaches us so we're you know we don't have a lot of places to learn it so either hiring someone to help you with that or finding a good mentor or you know joining joining organizations like the mr fence academy or something like it right i think tony thornton has some yep um you know some things some similar things as well so just finding something like that where they'll, they're helping in a hands-on way, helping you dive into those things and helping you learn that, um, if it were me, I think would be extraordinarily beneficial. Absolutely. Well, and like I said, a lot of times it's not intentional. Now, sometimes you get some bad actors that, that jump into the pool and um, they come into it for nefarious reasons. But I think largely 90% probably of of the contractors you hear about flaming out didn't do it on intentionally. You know, yep. we, we had a contractor here locally um, that built great fence for a lot of years. I mean, they were just, they, they ended up growing to where he, he was working out of his garage and then he uh, got a storefront, got a yard, started operating as a brick and mortar fence company. Mm-hmm. One thing led to another and you started getting you. You started hearing about people complaining about how long it's taking because every community has these Facebook groups, right? The Welcome to mm-hmm. Springfield, I Love Republic. So you start seeing posts in these groups about how long it's taking. Hey, does anyone mm-hmm. know how to get a hold of whomever? It's like, oh, we better start watching this because this. Yeah. I, I think I've seen this before, right? I think I know where this is heading. One thing leads to another, and then. Um, a bunch of people are upset because no one can get a hold of him. There's a lot of deposits missing. Mm-hmm. Um, come, come to find out what had happened was he just got really far behind. It was in the tune of seven figures to a couple different vendors. Took a bunch of deposits and ran. Uh, scooped the family up and they moved somewhere else. Now, this, this story has... Maybe not a happy ending, but a less bad ending in that the Missouri uh, Attorney General found him and brought him back. And there's no. some justice and, uh, you know, there's he's on a payment plan, I guess, to pay everyone back. But uh, but the story didn't start out this way. Right. The story started out with he did great work. And that's no one complained about the fences that he did build. Sure. It sure. was he just got. Whether it was he scaled too quickly, which is a danger, 
you know, maybe the brick and mortar, he jumped to that a little bit too soon, or it could have been any number of reasons. The point is he didn't do it intentionally to in the beginning. Now, at some point he made a decision, right? But right. he didn't go into it. And I think, I think that's the point here is that contractors can find themselves in bad situations quicker than they think. It's, you never know you're in quicksand until you're up and up to your shins or your knees in it. Right. right. And then all of a sudden it's a mess. Yeah. If you don't know your numbers and we, we consider that to be one of the core foundational things that like, it makes all the planning all that much easier. Right. Cause if sure. you don't know yeah. that it's hard to understand, do we have money to hire people? Do we have money to expand or, you know, buy new vehicles or equipment or sure. spend money on marketing or whatever it is. And to your point, you know, um, and I shared a story about, a, you know, contractors in our area as well, very similar story, where I think it just becomes like this accidental Ponzi scheme, right? So they don't know their numbers. They think that growth will solve the problem. But if you're not running profitably, growth just digs that hole even deeper right. and makes it that much harder to get out of. And then you start collecting deposits on jobs that you're not going to get to for months, and again, because you don't know your numbers and expenses and profitability, you're spending that money to help you, uh, you know, finish jobs that you're currently doing. And then you have to get somebody else down the road this because you're using that deposit from somebody, you know, in a few months to finish the job. Now, then you got to get somebody else to give you money to finish that job that you're going to get to in a few months, which is the definition of a Ponzi scheme. Right. So it's mm -hmm. just, you, you got to get new investors in to pay the old ones. Right. And it's. Um, it's really sad because I, you know, um, presumably that's not what people went into business for and that's right. not what they were trying to do, but they found themselves there, had to make some difficult decisions. Um, well, and, and it starts out, it, it starts out as just to your point, not knowing your numbers. Right? right. And this is what I'm, this is one of the reasons why I'm against the questions. Like, what do you charge for X in your market? Right. right. Because then it's, well, well, I mean, one, it's an antitrust question to begin with. But two, even if it wasn't, you have to presume that whoever is giving me the answer knows their numbers. And they just didn't hear it from somebody else who heard it from somebody else. Right. And you've really got to hope that your market is the same as theirs. That Who was I? I was talking to Sean. So speaking to Mr. Finscatty, I was talking to Sean a while back. And, and we made the point that Sean and I's business can be in the same city. They can be next door to each other. We mm -hmm. could do the same revenue, have the same number of team members, have the same vendors. It can be same across the board. And we're likely not going to charge the same amount because we right. just have different goals in business. We have different growth strategies or we just whatever the reason. Yeah. So if two competitors next door can't charge the same, two contractors across the country absolutely cannot. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people should understand like it's irrelevant what other people are charging. Like trying to gauge what you should be charging based off of what other people are charging. Like you know, my even non-business owners, you know, when I meet with them, I hear all, very often when we're talking about doing various things like, "Well, what do what like what what do other people do?" or what and it's like that I don't know, I you know, I try to find a tactful way to be like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what sure. other people do. I'm not, this has nothing to do with you and your situation. What what do you want? What do we need to do for you? Yeah. Well, and I almost I almost said it's not commodities, right? Like we're not selling commodities, but even even in the commodity. So let's talk about gasoline or diesel, whichever one. 
I pay different than you pay. We pay different just for a basic commodity, just fuel. Or you could say milk or you could say lumber, whatever the commodity we're looking at. Even those aren't the same. Right. Even right. commodities aren't aren't the same market to market. Right. Uh, it's but I think that's probably one of the areas that a fencing contractor could start finding themselves on a wayward path by saying, well, I charge a million dollars a foot because so and so said they charge a million dollars a foot. Well, if your expenses are nine hundred and ninety thousand a foot, you're stuck. Yep. Right. Because then all of a sudden you know, it's, it was easy to get credit. You know, I think it's, it's less easy now than it was before, but then the easy, the easy lever to pull was just to go to get some credit because you owed a vendor. He said, well, I, I didn't do well on this job. So I'm going to have to take out on credit to pay the vendor so I can buy materials on the next job. And then that just snowballs and snowballs and snowballs. And now all of a sudden you're seven figures to a couple of vendors and you're like, Phew. How's this going to work? Like this, I'm the, the game's up, I guess. I don't know, mm-hmm. but that could have started by just saying, "Well, you know, I I heard my customer said so and so was charging this for building a fence, and so that's just you know that's what I thought the market rate was for building privacy fence in my market." Yeah, I think um, I think. So starting with the knowing your number stuff, like just simple things like understanding the difference between margin and markup, right? Just very, very simple. So it's a very common error, I think. And so the the example I kind of always use, like, all right, so you're going to go bid a job and let's say that you want to run on 20% margin. Uh, And in your mind, you're thinking, all right, well, I'm going to go bid this job. After you look at the job, you figure out your total expenses with materials and labor and all the things are $10,000. So in your mind, you're thinking 20% more than that is 12,000. I'm going to charge 12,000 and there's my 20% margin. Well, that's a 20% markup. And so to break this down as easily as I can for people who are listening, uh, markup is your profit, which in this case would be that $2,000 profit divided by cost right? That's your markup. So 2000, your profit divided by the cost of 10,000 to do the job, which would be a 20% markup. Margin is profit divided by price, which is the 12,000 that you're charging. And so when you divide 2000 by 12,000, that gives you 16.67, right? So it's 16.67% margin. So 20% markup, Mm -hmm. right? So for the people who are thinking, like I'm running at a 20% margin. No, you're running at a 20% markup. You're running at a 16.67% margin. And then out of that comes all your other expenses, right? Comes your mortgage or rent, comes your insurances, comes your, you know, uh, if you have admin or office staff that their labor isn't directly correlated with that particular job. So it's not probably cost, uh, you know, uh, costed into that. And some owners don't include their pay anywhere in the uh, in the equation, right? Yep. So then you're just kind of living off the scraps or what's left over, and that's not a good position to be in either. Well, and unforeseen expenses, right? right? So in, in our part of the world, rocks are everywhere. We grow them here, it seems like. So <laughs> you get into a particularly rocky yard, and you've got to go rent a breaker. Or you've got to go rent a core drill or because at this point you don't have that. Well, 
the customer is not going to pay the added expense typically. Right. Yeah. So now you're absorbing that. And now all of a sudden at the end of the job, you're like, wait a minute, I paid the vendors. I paid the rent house. I paid everybody, but I, there's no money left over for me. Like, well, we're going to have to do better on the next job, but for whatever reason, doing better on the next job is never charging more. Yeah. Right? It's like, well, we got to figure out how to get it done faster or find cheaper materials or like, that is, that is one direction you can go. Sure. A better direction would be to say, okay, I guess I didn't price that accordingly, right? Because we didn't anticipate needing this or that or the other. You almost have to price that in, right? That's we, we own all of our equipment, but we still price the job as if we were renting that equipment, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever the job would take the mm -hmm. digging equipment, the quarter, whatever it could take couple reasons. One, we've got to replace this stuff, right? right. So it, it has a lifespan. Right. But two, may, maybe something goes wrong and we've got to go rent a piece of machinery. You know, this yeah. machinery goes down or whatever scenario. Well, now there's money in it to rent that equipment and we're right. not just totally upside down in it. Right. Um, unforeseen stuff, you have to plan for it. Yeah, I think uh, so many problems are solved by charging more, right? Like obviously, you know, doing cutting costs and finding ways to do things more efficiently, obviously, right? Yeah. Obviously, that's something oh, absolutely. we always want to do. Um, and again, I'm not saying go, you know, price gouging or anything, but, right. uh, you know, I, I think to have that extra cushion, that extra margin, to allow for room for error, to allow for these extra, you know, unknown expenses that might come up. Um, it, it makes, it makes a really big difference. And, and I think a lot Absolutely. of business owners, particularly newer ones are really scared about losing jobs because they're charging too much. Sure. Um, and again, I'm, I'm, you should understand how you charge and you should, you know, but you also need to charge what you need to charge. And by knowing your numbers and knowing I need to charge this much for this to make sense, like that's what you have to charge. Don't take the job just because you're like, well, it's money. And it's like, all right, but if you're breaking even, you basically did it for free. Like right. you, that's not a business. You, you made no forward progress. Yeah. Yeah, in, and in, in fact, a best case scenario. Yeah, in fact, you could certainly make the argument, and that's a, a very valid one, that in fact, you probably moved backwards because the opportunity cost, right? Right. Because you could have filled that job with or filled that time with a profitable job. Sure. And instead, you were doing this job to break even. Right. So, well, there's a few different directions we can go here. The one I want, so the easiest way to think about markup and margin when I'm talking to contractors, I like 50% gross. That's, that's sure. where I like to start. And sure. sometimes it can be more, sometimes it can be less depending on if we're more or less efficient, but, and that number is super easy to come by. Sure. Right. So total cost, which would include now, which include all your materials, all your labor. One, one number that contractors that I talk to forget is the payroll tax expense on the payroll. So your complete cost of payroll to include payroll taxes, benefits, you yep. should be, you should be offering those, right? Yep. Okay. Um, complete expenses, rental yep. equipment. Even if you own the equipment, I'm going to be two days on the job. What is two days renting a 
Bobcat MT100, whatever you like using, mm-hmm. what is two days of the total cost? Double it or times two. That is your number. Total cost times two. It's super easy to figure out. Mm-hmm. And there's quite a bit of wiggle room in there for if you do have unexpe- unexpected expenses. Mm-hmm. Right. And heaven forbid everything go exactly right. And then you're left over with a little bit more. Now, here's a wonderful thought. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's one guy's opinion. But to your point, no one's ever made mistakes by charging more. Right. Like it, that solves a lot of problems. <clears throat> yeah. It, it really does solve a tremendous amount of problems um, for any business. Right. So, and I, again, I think it's fear that keeps us from, you know, charging yeah. appropriately. So, it's mindset. I, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and so, you know, as a kind of a quick, um, you know, I have a, I have a client um, who builds cabinets. And he's a one-man show, has been his whole time. And he came to us because he's like, you know, I I want this to be a business and I need to, you know, I need to grow and hire people and do stuff. And he's a little, um, he's a little set in his ways about things. But, sure. uh, you know, he, he is opening up to, to various things. And so that was one of the things I told him. I was like, look, man, you got to charge more. You're like, you're doing all the things right now. You got to, you got to be able to charge more because you're talking about hiring people right now. There's not enough meat. First of all, you're not even charging enough to pay yourself appropriately, much less hire somebody else. Yeah. You know? And so he's, he's very, he's mindful of the dollars and cents himself. Mm-hmm. That's a yeah. polite way to say yeah. he's kind of a cheap guy. Uh-huh. Right? I really, yeah. Um, but, um, and, you know, so he's thinking like, well, I, I think this is a, a reasonable, you know, a, a reasonable cost for me to install these cabinets. And I'm like, well, just because you think that doesn't mean that and he's working for higher end, you know, kind of typically more well off people. Yeah. And I'm like, just because you think that doesn't mean they think that. And I was like, look, the next time you go price a job, whatever you think is appropriate um, go higher than that. So whatever you think is higher than appropriate, then add 25% and just see, just see how it, just see how it works out. Um, and he did and he landed it and it's, you know, changed his mind about, and I mean, no, there was no, again, with these people and with the reputation he has, because like we've talked about a lot of contractors, um, especially in our area, you know, people kind of have PTSD about like, <laughs> I need to hire a good contractor that I know will, you know, uh, keep his word. Sure. And he and he's that guy. So all his people currently come from referral and that's that and the other. And I'm like, look, man, people are willing to pay a premium, especially right now, for a contractor that they know that will do the job in a timely manner and that they can trust and will do a good job and all the things, you know. And I was like, You're you're that guy. So people are willing willing to pay way more than I think you think is an appropriate cost for that. Um and it just, we're in the earlier stages of that, but it already, so the mindset shift has already started to take place, which is the first step, but now the money's starting to come in and it, sure. it, that definitely is kind of the next step of that mindset shift. Yeah. And, Makes uh, life a little easier. Oh my gosh. Can hire staff, can scale if he wants to scale or not, right? Or, or he could take, he, maybe he works four days a week instead of five. Well, let's be honest. He works six days a week instead of seven or, you know, something right. like that. Right. Uh, you know, 
the the appropriate price in a market is the price the market will bear. Right. Right. That that's just that is what it is. Yep. Now, to your earlier point, no one's talking about taking advantage, right? No one's talking about sure. price gouging, whatever you want to call it. It does need to be price appropriate for the value, right? So, but if your market will bear a higher price, that means you get to bring more value. That means you get to operate with better materials or pay your team better or roll up in newer equipment or whatever, whatever it is, you can bring more value. Right, because the market will bear a higher price. Every business that lives by price will die by price, right? If you're trying to be the low price person or, uh, you know, be be that bargain brand, whatever, like as soon as you got to imagine, first of all, the type of clients that you're getting are, are going to be the biggest pains in the butt. They're going to be the ones that are finding ways to not pay you or to get extra stuff out of you. And I hate to generalize, but I mean, that's, that's where, uh, yeah, that's where a lot of those people are kind of in that, in that market. Um, And then they're going to be price shopping the heck out of you Mm -hmm. and asking for discounts and all the stuff, as opposed to being the high price person, like there's actually benefit to being the high price firm. You might not get as many jobs. You might, uh, you know, your closing ratio might be lower than normal. First of all, you should never be closing a close to a hundred percent of your jobs. Cause that means you're not, you're not charging enough. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. but you know, I mean, I, you know, there's a, um, a landscaper, uh, in town where I'm from that has built a reputation for himself and built a great business. Um, and when I say landscaping, like they do the design stuff and build stuff, not yeah. lawn like hardscape. Right? And, yeah. Right. Right. So, um, and you know, he's a great designer, but you know, where most people are going out and giving free quotes, I think it's $400 or something like that. Anyways, he charges, I think $400 to, if you want me to step foot on your property, it's going to cost 400 bucks for, sure. for, to give you my opinion and to give you a price. It's going to cost that much. Uh, and he's doing fine. Now, again, is he working with the, you know, the, you know, more penny pinching, mindful people. No. Um, but he's working with the market that he wants to work with. That isn't as price conscious. And I'm telling you the the, not only that, but the margins that, you know, that he's, um, running for the jobs that he's doing, you could certainly say, wow, he's way overpriced, but not to the people that he's doing the work for. Right. Right. If the market bears it, then he is priced accordingly to the value he's bringing. Yep. And you got to, you got to deliver, right? You can't be the overpriced and then come in and and be, you know, you you have to be great. If you're going to charge like you're great, you got to be great. Of course. Um, But I just think, again, I I think we place our own limitations. Sometimes maybe we don't believe in ourselves enough um, or, you know, whatever kind of the limiting thoughts are, but um, I'm, Every business owner that I've encouraged to increase their prices, um, once they do it and it, they see it works, they're like, oh my gosh, I should have done that forever ago. It's like, yeah, you know, but yeah. you just need, need that little nudge sometimes. So maybe this can be the nudge for some of the sure. people who are listening. Well, and, and I'll, and I'll use our 
company as an example. So when, when my grandfather and my dad owned this business, they worked on 30% gross. That's just where they were. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, so I came, when I bought the business, I came across a few people. One was a gentleman named Tom Reber, who was absolutely in your face about you got to be at 50%. So I told my dad, I said, Hey, uh, we're raising prices. And he said, no, market won't bear it. That I'm sure that works somewhere else, but it will not work here. You don't understand the market we're in. And like, well, can we try it? Mm -hmm. Like, can we, can we try a few with it just to see? And we didn't go from 30 to 50 overnight. Right. So yeah. 30 to 35 to 40 to 45 to 50, but found success. Yep. Right. And so then all of a sudden it was, well, now that truck's getting out now how, that truck spent how much time in the shop or just downtime in general and it costs us how much not to run well then i guess we can afford to buy a new truck because we've yep. got the added expense or or we whatever the example is right we can afford pay raises we can afford whatever whatever it was and the market accepted it because we made sure we were bringing the correct amount of value now there's a there's a there's a separate discussion here that's somewhat related about contractors that find themselves being 10, 12, 14 weeks out on new work, right? Maybe that's a good indication. And, and that's where we were. So we were winning at 30% gross. We were winning the majority of the jobs we bid mm -hmm. and we were out 10, 12, 14 weeks. Like it was in our customers were upset because it took so long, but they were willing to wait because we were on the cheaper side of the industry here in our market yeah. and that sort of thing. Um, all of a sudden we saw, we pulled back to four to six weeks by being 50% out by 50% mm -hmm. gross. And that made my dad a little nervous, right? Like, well, I like having three months worth of work booked. Like, I, yeah. I understand, but mm -hmm. I think four to six weeks is still comfortable, mm -hmm. right? It's still, we're still okay here. Mm -hmm. um, it just, and, to your point earlier too, it also made us more available to take opportunity, take advantage of opportunities to take on more work because we were only four weeks out and maybe our competitors were in eight to 10 to 12 weeks out. So the opportunity cost was there as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you made a great point earlier about the, the vehicle, right? And so instead of having a vehicle down, so switching gears just a little bit, yeah. but yeah. you know, that is something that I think is worth business owners to take into consideration as well is looking at your vehicles and equipment and things like that to see, all right, is it most efficient for me to keep this older vehicle that needs a lot of work and probably isn't a, as good of a repu representation of my business yeah. as it's driving around the road um, as opposed to a newer, newer vehicle? But I think that's one of the calculations that you need to make because it's it might seem like, well, that's an expense and it it you know, buying a new vehicle as opposed to keeping the old one because like, oh, the old one's paid off. And it's like, yeah, but and it's it's hard to calculate opportunity cost. I get sure. that. Right. Yeah. But it's like, all right, well, by this vehicle being down. So uh, as a brief example, like I have a client who owns multiple Domino's pizza franchises. Right. So he's building a new location, talking about the oven that he's putting in there and, you know, some of the other things and talking about his first location. Um, that he has that, you know, has an old oven and this, that, and the other. And, you know, talked about how, you know, it breaks down fairly often. You got to have it worked on, all the stuff. Uh, backup ovens and stuff. They have multiple. Um, mm -hmm. But just using this as an example, um, it's like, all right, so think about the loss of productivity 
of you having that, you know, that older, uh, having the oven down where it can't produce pizzas. Let's say you can produce a pizza a minute in it. I don't know what the, sure, you know, sure. um, but the loss of productivity of having that down, the cost, the direct cost of having somebody come fix it yep. versus if you bought a new one, because I asked him, I was like, is there a difference between like the old one and the new one as far as like their functionality and their efficiency and stuff? And he went on and on about how cool the new ones are and you know, all this. I'm like, all right, well, if you bought a new one, you get to depreciate it, right? Because the old one's paid yep. off. So you get to depreciate it over a multi-year period of time. So that will, you know, it saves you some money on taxes there. Uh, increase efficiency. So let's say you can create a pizza every 30 seconds as opposed to every 60 seconds, right? And presumably it's not going to break down nearly as much and will be, you know, doing its thing for a while as opposed to, you know, save you money on having somebody come repair it. So same thing with like vehicles and equipment. I think instead of like holding on to this old equipment that um, probably, you know, your guys that are out there doing stuff probably don't love, Right, you know, having driving around in crappy equipment, or you sure. know, having it break down, and you know, whatever it is. Yeah, well, and accounting for that in your scheduling too. Right, right, right. Now that puts you out even further because you got you know truck or equipment down or whatever it is. So again, don't don't be uh, you know again the balance to it all. I'm not telling everybody like, hey, go sell your you know <laughs> stuff and buy all new stuff. Yeah. But I just think it's worth um, kind of the extra consideration instead of just like, yeah. well, it's paid off and I don't want to spend the extra money. And it's like, yeah, but the opportunity cost of it, when you actually, if you could actually run the numbers on it, like it would, it would, and there's some intangible things, right? So sure. again, kind of the stuff of like your guys getting to drive around in new trucks, they feel yeah. more proud, they feel better, they feel, yeah. and again, the representation of you and your, and your company where, driving around a newer vehicles yep brand image absolutely yep. and yep. because the truck we talk about truck wraps a lot is mm -hmm. so we absolutely ripped this idea off of sean he has blue chrome our trucks yep. are orange chrome yep but they absolutely grab attention so for example so i was dropping packages off the other day we sell fin stuff online i was dropping packages off the other day and i was just talking to a ups driver that was there and uh, he was talking about moving anyway he was taking on a different uh route he goes hey because he was talking about moving into metro from anyway so i said yo you'll probably be by the office then he goes hey i'm already near one of you he goes who drives the the bright orange truck and and parks on the weekends like, well you're gonna have to be more specific like <laughs> <laughs> what area are we talking about yeah. well it couldn't find out it was my dad's house so he drove he picks up he, uh, extra ships on the weekend. He drop drives uh, deliveries on Saturday. Well, so he saw my dad's truck and he he recognized it and it sat in his brain because it's a bright orange truck mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's in a neighborhood that we want to do business in, mm -hmm. right? So, and it's something I wraps are absolutely an investment. Like they are not cheap, they are expensive, and not an investment, but they're worth it, right? So in that we're doing work in neighborhoods. So it stands to reason we would like to do more work in those neighborhoods sure. and those neighborhoods we can work in, right? They have a certain clientele that will pay for whatever work we're doing. It's a rolling billboard and it, our trucks sit more than they roll, right? Mm -hmm. So they'll drive to the, to the job site. Hopefully we've sold a nice job and it's going to sit there all day. Mm -hmm. It's going to wait for the cruise to be done that afternoon and come back to the shop. Why not plant 
a rolling billboard for your business in neighborhoods you want to work in. It's a, it, it makes perfect sense to me. In talking about your brand image, what is that billboard saying about your company? It's it's on display. If your name's yep. on the vehicle, it's on display. Yep. What does that billboard say about your company? Yep. That what can this customer expect for you to look like when you're on their property? And what value do they expect you to bring? Well, and same thing for the guys who are hopping out of the truck, right? Yep. So are they I you know, they don't have to be dressed in suits, but you know, are they do you know, are they clean and neat and do they look good and you know, or or are yeah. they, you know, do they look like you know, homeless people rolling out of there, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that you know, the the your people same deal. Yeah. Um yeah, all that all that plays a big part. So, I I think it is an investment. I think it's a good one. Um same thing with, you know, having branded um you know for your guys having uniforms or you know what have you that look good that are clean that are kept up and again when they get dingy and dirty and there's holes in them you get them replaced because again that's brand image as well Absolutely. Um, but yeah i think all that stuff plays a huge part in there in that but by having the extra margin and by having the extra money where you have the money to you know, when you take a look at the guy's uniforms or their shirts or, you know, whatever you want to call them and say, yeah, we probably need to, we, we need to replace those or upgrade those. You got the money to do it. Sure. We need to buy new vehicles and we need to get them wrapped. That's, that costs money, but that's a worthwhile place to put our money, right? Yeah, it's absolutely. building your brand. It's building the value of your business. Well, and you should be tracking this, right? So when you're getting new clients in, you should absolutely be asking, how'd you hear about us? Or yeah. what, what made you pick up the phone and call? my company and then you track that right so we use a crm called job nimbus and we track that in job nimbus you yep. know referral source it could be trucks or signs or referral direct referrals or radio whatever it is so that periodically we can look at these reports and say you know this is worthwhile this is worthwhile yeah. now you have to understand it's not directly it takes multiple touches for someone to remember you. Right. So right, right. the example I use is they heard us on the radio, they saw a billboard and then they saw our truck and went, these guys are everywhere. Mm -hmm. And when I ask them, they go, Oh, it was the trucks. Yep. All right. Truck gets out, gets the credit for this. Well, yep. meanwhile, radio and billboard was also in the mixer somewhere. Right. Don't get the credit, but so it takes a mix, but you have to at least begin to understand so that you can look and say, you know, for my business, maybe, you know, maybe social media isn't doing well. Maybe print ads aren't doing well. Maybe in, you could track these multiple different ways. And so one way that we track it is with tracking phone numbers. Mm -hmm. So we, we actually just got done running this is we had paid for a space in uh, some like some local high school calendars, right? Sports calendars. Mm -hmm. They love to sell these things. I love mm -hmm. to support them. Mm -hmm. But so we placed a big ad, you know, and it had a tracking phone number. It says, give us a call at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or whatever. Two calls in a year. So then when the rep called again, I said, hey, listen, we got to talk about this because it didn't drive business. Now, there is a conversation about branding, and that's okay. We sure. can talk about it. But at the price that you're asking for, that's too too expensive for branding. There right. needs to be some direct action here. The point I'm, in all of it is you've got to know your information. You got to have information at hand. 
I'm so glad you mentioned that because we are we are such a huge uh, proponent for tracking data. As I mean, I as much as you can. So I, you know, I brought it up to somebody, and they're like, "Oh, that sounds like it's you know, it's hard and it's a lot of work to to do that." And I'm like, "Well, it is to have the systems in place and or people or you know to to once you to get it going, but like once you have things going and it's part of what you do, well, then it's not hard to keep up. It's hard to get started if you've never you know, done it before. Sure. But to your point, tracking that data to understand, you know, like, let's say you're, there's multiple key metrics to track, but let's say yeah. customer acquisition cost, right? Mm -hmm. So to know like, all right, well, we're spending money on social media. We're spending money on mailers. We're spending money on like referral programs or whatever it is. So for nice, easy numbers, let's say that we are uh, spending $2,000 a month on social media ads uh, we just spent a thousand dollars on mailer on mailers and we have, um, you know, referral program where we're giving the referrer and the referee a hundred dollars each. Mm -hmm. So let's say that you get, uh, two clients per month, closed clients, not leads, but you know, client customers, signed contract clients, signed contracts, um, of, you know, two per month and you're spending $2,000 per month. So your customer acquisition cost on social media in this uh, uh, example is a thousand dollars per client customer acquisition cost. So then knowing what the average profit per client is um, and to know just generally, right? So per month we got 10 people call, two of them are from social media, this many from mailers, this many from referrals, this many from seeing the trucks, this many from, you know, whatever it is. Um, but then to take a good look at, all right, well, if we get two from social media, we're spending $2,000 per month, and, um, you know, our customer acquisition cost there is $1,000. If we have a referral program where we're spending $200 per referral, right? $100 to the referrer, $100 to the referee. Well, then our customer acquisition cost there is $200. And if we sent out 1,000 mailers and got four clients, so I spent $1,000 on mailers and got four clients from that, well, then our customer acquisition cost there is $250. So then that helps you know, helps you realize like, where should we spend our dollars? And let's just say, you know, understanding the average revenue or and or average profit per client, let's just say for the sake of this example, it's a thousand dollars. Well then, you know, there's a lot of business owners, again, kind of back to knowing your numbers and understanding your data that they're spending money on social media, their customer acquisition cost is a thousand dollars via social media and their average profit per client is a thousand dollars. Right, so they're not making any money. They're getting clients. So the average client who doesn't know and doesn't track this, the average business owner, is saying, "Well, I'm getting tons of clients from that. Like, I don't understand why I'm we're not really busy." Money. Yeah, but like we're not making any more money. Why is that? Well, again, understanding that, and that helps you understand where those dollars should go and where they shouldn't go. Yep. You absolutely have to, you have to start collecting the data and then you can sift through it. Yep. Right now. I always, I always use a word of caution too, that sometimes your clients are get confused about where they find you. Right. So one of the of options on our tracker is television. We don't run television ads. We are not yeah. on TV, but once in a while I'll see, it'll be, one or once or twice a month, someone will say, Oh yeah, we saw you on TV. <laughs> no, you didn't. Interesting. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay. Like yeah. if you think so, yeah. um, you know, it's, 
so anyway, your customers may also be confused about where they see you. A hundred percent. But yeah. if you don't, to your point though, if you don't track it, you don't know. Right. Right. So you could be really busy. You could be 12 weeks out and you could just be spinning your tires and absolutely getting nowhere unless, until you realize, hey, I've got to know my numbers. I got to yeah. see what's what's left over after all of this. And it's a really sad situation because I think a lot of business owners, at least partially, if not mostly, uh, start a business for freedom. Yeah. And then they end up just being a slave to the business, right? So, you know, like I said, working six or seven days a week and not being able to take vacation time and and then not paying themselves adequately and not having the money and always wondering. I think it's just common, you know, theme that we you know, see over and over again. Where it's like, we make good money. We got millions of dollars coming in a year. Why don't I ever feel like we have money and I don't know where it goes, yeah. right? And like they're working their butts off and all those things and not taking enough time off and not paying themselves adequately and they're taking all the risk. Um, and it's, you know, even if you're making $20 million a year, if your profit on 20 million is a million, well, that's a 5% prop. So in other words, if you look at it this way, like you have to, you had to spend 19 million to make 1 million, mm -hmm. right? Like yeah. when not, you look at it that way, way, right. When you look at it that way, it's like, oh, well, you know, so your margin is extraordinarily important because the amount of risk you're taking on as a business owner and yeah. whatever your cost versus your you know, uh, your revenue minus cost, obviously, whatever that profit is. But I mean, you have to spend this much to make this much, right? And then you get to keep the difference. So yeah. obviously, the wider that, that you know, that that margin is, obviously, the, the more room it gives you for error, the more room it gives you for growth, and the more you're able to pay yourself and the more time, hopefully, you're able to take off and all those things. And sure, that is, that is again, kind of the number one thing we see, too, is, most businesses are overly reliant upon the owner, which again is not what the owner went into business for, presumably. Right. right. And if that's the case and you don't fix that, then you'll never be able to exit the business without just closing it up. Right. So right. for most right. business owners, the majority of their wealth is in their business as it should be. Sure. But if there's not some sort of exit strategy for that, right? A lot of business owners get too caught up in the day-to-day -day or whatever. They don't begin with the end in mind. And it's like, no, uh -huh. you you will exit this business at some point, either sure. by your choice or not, but you will yeah. exit this business. And so you need to have a plan for what that looks like for you. And if it's too overly reliant upon you, how does anybody else want this business? If it, right. if it has to come with you too, First of all, I'm assuming you don't want that right? <laughs> because if you sell the business and it's, it's like, hey, I need to stay on for another two to five years to, you know, help with this transition. Like, well, why don't you just run the business in a way that makes it sale ready, mm -hmm. right? Which lots of things go into that. But uh, one of the big pieces is that it's not overly relying upon you. Yep. Um, so then that just makes your life easier and makes the business more fun to own. Sure. Um, and then, of course, makes it more valuable and sellable down the road. Like we we work with a, um, you know, another, another landscaping guy and he's younger. He's in his 30s. And, you know, when he first came to us, he's like, yeah, you know, I might want to sell this thing in maybe five years or so. I could get this much for it. I 
you know, would like to sell it. And, uh, you know, start working with him on getting it, you know, sale ready. Um, and now fast forward three years later, and he's like, I don't know if I want to sell it. Because he's like, now I, I'm, he, he literally said, he was like, now it's fun to own. He was like, I got to yes. figure out how what to do with my day most of the time. And like, I, you know, it doesn't require a lot of time from me. And it's, you know, growing and we're making more and more money and, it's like, I'm not saying I wouldn't sell it, but like, I'm not nearly as like now it's fun to own. So I think, you know, a lot of the business owners that feel like burnt out and stuff like that um, and just feel like they want out because the business is a source of pain for them um, because of that, right? Because you're not getting paid adequately because you're taking on all this risk. You have all the headache. It can't run without you you know, all these things. And it's like, well, but if you just ran it differently and better, yeah. then maybe that wouldn't be the case. And maybe you wouldn't feel the same way as you do now. Sure. Yeah. And to your point, it becomes more enjoyable. Like it's, there's a lot of times where, you know, you can certainly feel when you're in the day to day, you can certainly feel like you've got a glorified job. It's like, you know, not only do I have a job, then now I'm also on the hook for there's a, there's a lot going on here that I'm responsible for and I'm away from my family and that, you know, it, it's not as good of a deal as some people think because they let the job run them. And I, I heard something that will stick with me forever. Um, somebody said something along the lines of like, if your business can't run without you, all you've done is created a job for yourself and hired people to help you with that job. But it's not, <laughs> yeah. it's not a business because it's not an asset that can run. And a, an asset is something that makes money, spits out money. Mm-hmm. A job is something that requires your direct input. So if your business requires your direct constant input and attention and what have you, then it's just a job. It's not a business. It only becomes an asset that will spit off money when it can run itself yep. without your direct input. Yep. I forget who I, I was listening to someone is probably like Grant Cardone or somebody, but basically said, if I called you up tonight and said, I'm taking you to Hawaii for three weeks and I'm going to pay for everything. You're not going to pay. I'm going to pay transportation, meals, no out of it, no out of pocket expense. Let's go. Can you say yes, or do you? Or is like, and you can have no technology. You can have no external. You know, could you say yes? Mm -hmm. If you could say yes, then you're running a great business. It's a nice way to put that. Yeah, we um, we created a three tier system for our business planning. So tier one is like, all right, we need to check the box on, regardless of business size. Like these are the things we need to check the box on, right? So. You know, knowing your numbers, proper business and entity structure and formation, cash flow management, cash on the balance sheet, asset protection. Uh, I'm missing things. But anyway, so that sort of stuff. Right. So just being able to check that's graduating from tier one. Tier two is bigger picture, longer term things, getting the business less reliant upon you, understanding the value and marketability and growing that, making it more marketable, sellable. Um, you know, perfecting your SOPs. I, again, I'm, I'm missing things, but point yeah. is graduating from tier two, the way you graduate from tier two, as far as, you know, we're concerned 
is uh, by being able to take an extended amount of time off, our goal is a month, not that we do this all at yep. once. We, we build up to that over, yeah. a, over a period of time. But to be able to take a month off, so just like you said, mm-hmm. where you no phone calls, no emails, no text messages from the business, right? So like your team obviously has to be ready for that. Yep. You have to be ready for that. And the business needs to be ready for that. Um, but then if you can take a month off and not be on the phone and not be answering emails and text messages or whatever and come back and things are not a complete, you know, things are running well, <laughs> yeah. um, then we've graduated from tier two because now we've proven that the business can rely, you know, can run without your direct input. And that should, you know, do obviously for you, that would be very freeing, but then now it's, now it's ready. Now it's sale ready. And then whenever we choose to enter into, you know, tier three, where it's like, all right, now we are actively planning for the exit, whether it be passing it down to kids or selling it or whatever that looks like. But now we are planning and that's tier three is uh, the exit from the business the planning around that. But yeah, to your point, like that's a very important thing that not a lot of business owners can do. And I'm not saying I can, it's something I'm working towards. Right. But um, I think it's something we should all be working towards. Cause again, um, I mean, that's, that's freedom, man. I mean, you know, to, to have to be working now, if you choose to work in what you're doing, cause that's what you enjoy doing. 100%. 100%. I don't see yeah. myself retiring anytime soon because I love doing this, but yeah. to, to not have to? To have the option. Yeah. Yeah. Optionality. So one thing you said that th- I'd like to touch on is you said you have to be ready for it, right? Yeah. I, I will give a, a piece of personal experience. So uh, back during COVID, I caught COVID really bad. Ended up and went to the hospital, the whole was on oxygen, the whole thing. So I was away from my business for about three weeks. And just by the time we got it all sorted out, I got, and and arguably I probably came back a little too soon because I was dragging an oxygen bottle with me and all that. But I came back and I was like, all right, who needs help? Like, what do we need to figure out? I've been gone for a while. I haven't been in touch regularly. And everyone's like, no, I'm, it's it's good we got it figured out like well yeah but what about you know e-commerce like i i know there's got to be something down there and he's like no i I figured it out like i we're we're going okay oh okay well surely and so i started checking in they're like no i mean in the areas i usually interact with on a daily basis they're like well yeah i mean you weren't here so we had to figure a few things out but largely you want to talk about feeling not needed that was not i'll be honest i struggled with that for a while um the 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 feeling of not being needed right that it went smoothly and it anyway so i talked to i was talking to another um another guy in the fencing industry about it and uh, he he kind of shared with me something similar and he's like i ended up seeing a professional for a little while dealing with just the issue of of not being needed because i think that's human nature to feel wanted and and to want to be needed and and all of that you know there's some psychology stuff in there i'm sure but um the point being you got to be ready for that of of this thing that has relied on you for x amount of time and you get to a place where it could function now not at a hundred percent maybe not at 90 percent, but it 
75, 80% just chugged along without you. You got to deal with that. You got to kind of work through that. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's a really great point. And I feel like for probably men in particular, because we want to be productive members of our tribe, meaning our family or our team or the people close to us. We always want to feel like we're pulling our weight and, and, you know, we're, we're adding, providing value and all those things. So probably, and I, I will say, so, I mean, even non-business owners, um, transitioning into retirement is so much psych, uh, psychologically harder for men than it is, than it seems in our experience, than it seems yeah. to be for women. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of it, right? Is like, Oh, I'm not going to be make. I'm not going to be providing for my family anymore. Like yeah. I'm, I'm now the Eskimo that's being pushed on the thing of ice because I'm no longer <laughs> useful to the tribe. Right. So, yeah. yeah, it's it's a weird, it's a weird thing. So my granddad, when he sold to my dad, he he did the typical. I'll I'll never forget. So we lived in North Carolina at the time. We came home for Christmas dinner and all that, and and my granddad said, "Hey, listen, I'm ready to sell this place. I'd like to sell it to one of you, but I'm gonna sell it to somebody." And it was in a it was in a correct point of life where my dad said, "I think this is this is our calling. We're gonna come back home." And he said, "I'm I'm only staying on for two years. I'll help you transition because you haven't been here, but I'm gonna introduce you to all the people you need to know, and then I'm done." Okay. And he did for about six months. And then he would still come in. We would go eat lunch down at the cafe down the street and he'd come in on like Thursdays or something. So one day he was like, well, guys, I think it's pretty obvious you could use some help. So I'm willing to come back, uh, limited basis, couple days a week, only a few hours a day. And that's all I'm committing to. Oh, Okay. So then what do you know? It, it worked into like four days a week for about three or four hours a day, because I think, I think that's what he ran into, right. Was that, and it wasn't, he sold the business. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't that he needed to provide, right. Like he was provided for in that sale, but I think it's just also the, the need to, to be needed, Right. Yeah. Or, or to be productive, to feel like you're producing and you're being you're a contributing member to society. Right. Rather than not rather, you, you know, there's a feeling of either you're doing the pulling or you're being pulled. Right. You're you're contributing or you're not. My dad retired February of last year, um, worked at a paper mill his, you know, his uh, most of his life. Um and that's where he retired from. And my brother-in-law owns a tree trimming, cutting business. And um, dad was like, oh, I'll work for him for, it's supposed to be two days a week. And he's he's there every day, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. just, you know, dad's 65 or 66 and yep. out there running circles around the younger guys. And I mean, yeah, it's just, and, but, and it's not, he doesn't need the money. And, and right. I, I don't even know if my brother-in-law pays him. But he just he wants to he wants to help and he wants to be out there and do stuff. So yeah, yeah, it is it is a it is difficult. There were some days so my granddad liked to fish. And so there Mm -hmm. are some days where he'd call in and I'd answer, he goes, Well, how how are things? How busy is it? You need me to come in? No, I I think we got it covered. He goes, Oh, okay. Well then, you know, this is after about if it's all right with you, um, I might just might just take the day off. 
and he'd done this a few times. I knew like, grandpa, are you already on your way to the lake? You got, you got the boat hooked up. Are you almost like, well, I mean, I can turn around if you're, if you really need me, I get out of here. Go, go, fish, go, go have fun. But you gotta love it. Yeah. But it's, it's the, it's the need to feel needed or to be productive. So that's anyway, all that to say, your point at you got to be ready for it is is absolutely accurate is you've got to be ready to hand it off to somebody yeah in in task by task you know that's generally how this happens is you say hey on my plate are these 12 things Right. right i do this i do that i do the scheduling i do the material ordering i do okay so team member, which one of these do I think you're most proficient at? Or do you right. think you're most proficient at? And all right, so take this for a while. Let me know how it goes. Let me handle the transition and introduce you to who you need to introduce to. But that's, you know, you do that for a while and then right. slowly but surely. But you got to be ready for your plate to get a little empty. So now I did not, I did not handle that well in that. Uh, so we've got a, we've got a, such a great team. We've got a really solid team. Um, so, so I started another business. I, we do, we manufacture chain link wire now. And I get, I think that oh, was, awesome. that was us solving a problem. It absolutely was our, you know, solving a supply issue that we were going through at the time. But part of that was, I think me going, you know, I've got time. I've got some time around here. I could, I could probably do more. And then next thing you know, we're back to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're back to working on a Saturday after this, I'll go do some paperwork for a little bit and all that. So, uh, that was me, I think not being quite ready for, for what that looks like maybe. Well, and you, yeah, to, to your point, you gotta be able to fill that time with something that will be fulfilling. Right. So either, yeah. you know, at, at maybe your grandfather stage, he has, you know, grandkids and great grandkids, or, you know, I don't know how long ago that was, but I mean, if you yeah. have, grandkids or family or you like to travel or uh, whatever yeah. you like to do but you know yeah. just something to fill that to fill yeah. that void so to speak but yeah but it's, something. yeah that's it it has to be something productive yeah. you know yeah. it's because yes. you, <laughs> yes. you also see people that fill their time with maybe unproductive things um but sure. you know one one i know we are already past the hour one thing i want to touch on uh, if you if you've got time sure. is we we talked a little bit before before we came on about uh, I don't know what we're calling it, like bank account financing or bank account finance or whatever running your business by saying well, one I'm busy guys I am busy all the time and I've got money in the bank so right. this thing works we're doing yeah. it yeah because they're running with one bank account and right. they maybe don't have a great grasp on how much of that money is allocated for what. And typically, you know, when, when typically when I've talked to guys that are having issues with this, it's right around tax time, right? So they get a tax bill. But congratulations. You were very successful last year. And because of mm -hmm. that, you get taxed on your income, right? So we've done right. all the numbers and here's the money you owe to the government. Now, here's a funny thing. If the government owes you money, um, it could take a little while to get that money. But when you owe the you government, money, right away. Yeah. you you better pay that immediately, or else there, yep. we'll be talking about interest on that. Yep. Um, and that's generally where this comes up, right? Is because that's usually if they're doing well, that's usually a significant bill uh, that comes in, and now all of a sudden 
that flush bank account maybe isn't so flush anymore. Uh, or business slows down for, you know, for a month. And we had talked about, you know, Nate, knowing what your payroll burn is or what your turn, you know, whatever you call it is uh -huh. you run for a few weeks of not selling because for whatever reason, um, now all of a sudden payroll still comes out or mm -hmm. your work comp invoice comes out. You know, it's, it could be anything, yep. but running it solely by the bank account may be uh, a dangerous way of running your business. Yeah. So two things there. One, uh, we'll talk about the cash flow stuff that, um, um, but you mentioned taxes as well. So just remind me, cause I might forget. I just want to sure. hit, say something about, uh, taxes here. Just, moment. You got it. but, um, yeah. So just like you and I were talking about before we hopped on, uh, using the profit first method. Yes. Um, so, I mean, that's something that we preach to clients just cause we find that that's something that works well. Um, and for those of you who don't, uh, who aren't familiar with that, there's the profit first book and then there is profit first for various industries. Mm -hmm. So one of which is profit first for contractors. Yep. So, um, not, uh, I don't mean to plug the book, so to speak, but it would be worth your time to read. I yeah. think, cause I've recommended it to multiple of our contractor clients and you know, the ones who read it are like, I felt like it was speaking right to me, you know, like it's, but the, the profit first method is um, to, just to give you the very just flyover of it um, for the listeners who are unfamiliar uh, with it. Is they're saying you set up five different bank accounts. You have your income account, all the money goes into your income account. Then you have four different accounts, one being profit, one being taxes, one being owner's compensation, and one being what's called OPEX or operational expenses. And then twice a month um, or whatever works for you, they recommend twice a month, those payments come from your income account and based on predetermined percentages go into those other accounts. And what they're basically saying, kind of their um, philosophy is that the business should be able to run off of what's left over in the OPEX account mm -hmm. after putting money aside for profit, after putting money aside for taxes, and after paying you as the owner adequately, the business should be able to run off of what's left over. And I know this sounds a little counterintuitive and kind of a little backwards for a lot of business owners, but kind of the point is, is that if the business can't run off of what's left over after putting money aside for profit taxes and your pay, then you can certainly make a strong argument that the business is not very financially healthy and you either need to decrease expenses or increase revenue and profitability or some combination of the two. Yep. Right. So that's kind of the flyover of it, but that's kind of the, the rationale and the philosophy. Um, and they, they recommend don't just dive right into that, right? If you're not yeah. used to, don't just die, you know, set up the account, start with small percentages, get used to mm -hmm. the flow of things, see what the business can handle and work up towards your target allocation percentages, right? If you want to have 10% in profit, don't start with 10%, start with one and work your way up to 10% and so on. Yeah. Well, the thing, and so we follow it. And the one thing I like is that, you know, while I have a grasp, in a broad sense of where we are financially here on, on a daily basis, maybe I can log into the bank and see at a glance exactly where we're at mm -hmm. or log into QuickBooks and QuickBooks will show you what checks are outstanding and all that. So it may give me an even closer look, uh, but it helps you make business decisions. 
right? right. Say, you know, so we we're talking about bringing on team members. Okay, well, so are we constantly adding to the payroll account? Is it above this average tide line? Okay, well, so that tells me we may have some room for either bonuses or bringing on if we're if we need to additional team members that sort of thing. Same thing with with opex, right? Is opex growing? Okay, well, maybe we can shrink opex, and maybe that can go somewhere else. Or yep. and is it's those foundational accounts, but then you can also create separate accounts, right? So sure. we've got one. Uh, we took out an EIDL loan during the pandemic and all that. To some people did what they wanted with that money, but mm-hmm. for us, so there's and we know what the monthly expense on that is. It's got a separate account. It has a certain percentage in it. Now that account just gets auto drafted. But at a glance, I know that money is not part of OPEX anymore. That money is dedicated to this. So now if we have the opportunity to, you know, to buy a few truckloads of this or the other, we can look at OPEX and go, okay, we've got, we've got some funds in there. We can take advantage of this or not. And not, you know, the, the dangerous part is if you're looking at one bank account, you can look at a big number and go, yeah, we can buy two truckloads of this. We got that. Right. And then payroll comes out and then a tax bill comes and then, and then, and then you're like, Oh, I did not have the money. Whoopsie. Yeah. yeah. It, well, and who ends up not getting paid? The owner the business owner. Yeah. I mean, the business owner gets paid last in a lot of scenarios. Yeah. And sometimes people got to end up putting personal funds back into the business because they messed up. Yep. Yep. So in the profit first, it, it reverses that. Like you pay yourself first, you pay your business first through profits. You know, it's, we've got separate for owner's comp and, and all this to where those get paid first. And to your point, then OPEX is at the end of it and you should be able to operate out of OPEX. Mm-hmm. But it's, I think it's a smarter way to do it. And to your point, like I'm not big on plugging things that aren't, if I plug them, I believe in them. Right. So it's sure. obviously yeah. not like a sponsored thing or whatever, but it's something right. that I used and I found success with. Right. Yeah. And I think now one part here too, that we had talked about is some guys I talked to about this said, yeah, no, that makes sense for when I grow. So when I get to that point, I will definitely implement it. It is a million percent easier to implement it now when you don't. I was, it. I was just about to say the exact same thing. Yeah. It's so much easier. Yeah. It, it, will never be easier as you grow. Like you will not get to a point where you're like, okay, this is when it'll be really easy. It will always be harder later on. Um, but it's yeah. so profit. I, I use profit first for contractors. And then I went and read profit first because mm-hmm. there's some variances there. Right. And it's good to mm-hmm. kind of understand the whole concept, but you were going to make a point on yeah, taxes. Yeah. So, um, kind of our overarching theme when it comes to owning a business and taxes and so on. Right. So again, everything kind of wrapping back into, uh, you know, at some point you'll exit the business. Presumably it's going to be a sale. There's multiple reasons to get and keep the business sale ready. Uh, but when it comes to taxes, the laziest tax advice that just, uh, that I really hate is, Hey, you made a lot of money this year. You need to go buy something. (laughs) <laughs> right. So, yep, you know, I'm sure equipment or a truck or mm-hmm. yeah. So I'm sure everybody, uh, you know, for the most part has had, if you've ran into that, has had your CPA tell you, 
again, towards the end of the year, November, December, like, hey, you made too much money this year. You need to go buy something before the end of the year. And it usually ends up being a truck or something like that. Um, well, and, and if the equipment is needed or vehicle or whatever it is needed, like that's one thing, certainly. Sure. But um, I'm assuming, you know, let's just say for, you know, if you have a spouse and you have the kind of spouse that goes to wherever they like to go, Target or whatever store, and they come back and they bought something on clearance and they're all excited about how much the deal they got on this and how much money they saved on this clearance item. And you're like, you know, husbands a lot of times are thinking, okay, but did we need that? Number one, <laughs> it still costs money and it still costs money. So we, we spent something, you know, so to spend a hundred grand on a vehicle to save 30 grand, you still spent 70. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, if it didn't move the needle forward with the business, if this business it needed, if it doesn't increase value and or cash flow with the business, then, you know, we didn't need it. So, you know, our philosophy is income taxes are taxed at the highest rate, right? Highest income tax rate right now is 37%. Capital gains taxes are taxed at a much lower rate. Highest capital gain tax rate is 20%, long-term capital gain. Um, so if you can reinvest, if you can wisely reinvest back into a well-run business, key phrases being wisely and well-run, um, in a way that will decrease your income taxes, which is, which are the highest rate and increase the value of the business. You don't pay taxes on the increased value of the business until it's sold, and then if you did sell the business and if you sold it as a stock sale, not an asset sale, asset sale is taxed as income uh, income tax, stock sale is taxed at a capital gain tax rate. So generally speaking, you'd probably want to do it as a stock sale, depending on various things. But point is, is that you've decreased income taxes, which is the highest rate as far as return on capital investing into a well-run business, you're probably going to get a better return on that money than you will a lot of other places. Um, And then cashing in on it down the road and paying a much lower capital gain tax rate, I think is arguably not that that there's a lot of other things you can do to save money on taxes. And there's a lot, I mean, you know, there's a lot more that goes into that. And I'm not saying to pour all your money back into the business and not diversify. Obviously I think it makes sense to diversify outside of the business, whether it be real estate or in the stock market or whatever else you want to invest in. I'm not saying don't do that. Certainly do that. Um, But I just think that, um, you know, everybody wonders like, well, how do these, how does Amazon and these big businesses, how do they not pay taxes? And it's like, well, they just understand the tax code, first of all, and they have the cash flow and the money to be able to wisely reinvest back into very, you know, a very well-run business in ways that will reduce their taxes so they don't have to pay income taxes and will greatly increase the value of the business that they don't have to pay taxes on until the shares are sold. Right. So, um, I just think that, and again, there's lots of things in there. I'm kind of leaving out like sure, the particulars sure. of how to go about doing that. Cause it's very, very much, it's an, it depends answer, yeah. but, um, just kind of generally speaking, I think that that is a better approach than, being reactive with your tax planning strategy. And by, I put it in air quotes because it's <laughs> probably not much of one. Um, yeah. And, you know, waiting till the end of the year and like, Oh, I'm going to go spend this money on whatever. Cause I made too much money. And it's like, well, there's 
probably better ways to do that. Yeah, especially so especially if you're taking out a loan for that, you know, whether it's a truck or a piece of equipment, because now okay, so now, you know, five, seven years we're on the hook for paying for this thing. So we are also paying interest on it. And we are okay. Did you save money over the over the course of this seven mm-hmm. years or five years? Did you save anything? Mm-hmm. And can you afford like if you've got cash flow for it, sure. But are you hooking yourself up to a payment to, are you solving a short-term problem, but creating a long-term problem? Right. It's, it's great to have a new truck, but you also don't need, you know, the Denali yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And this is not meant to be a jab at my yeah. CPA friends. Sure. Um, but I just will find some PA, some CPAs are, are very much like they're, their main concern is to save you money on taxes this year, right? Yeah. So, you know, that's what their main concern is. They're the hero. The more they can save you taxes, money on taxes this year, that's great. And then they worry about next year, next year, right? And generally speaking, not always. Um, a lot of them are very kind of reactive in their strategies or planning approach, right? It's very much like, oh, you made too much money this year to buy something as opposed to like, let's meet periodically throughout the years and see how things are going and have different ideas. So we kind of end up filling that proactive tax planning role um, throughout the year. But point is, is that, um, yeah, uh, you know, having too many CPAs only see things through the tax lens and there's not a lot of other considerations besides like just the cost and the tax, the immediate cost and the immediate tax savings. Whereas to your point, right? Like, all right, well now, but did you actually save money over this period of time? And yeah, like, are you, are you accomplishing what you think you're accomplishing? You save tax money this year, but yeah. Well, and are you trading in a vehicle that's already fully depreciated? Okay. So, and uh-huh. there, like, there's a lot of different, like a lot of guys here, I see that advice given pretty right. freely of, well, you just buy more stuff. Like, well, <laughs> that's, you know, you'll want to consult a professional before you just start taking this advice. Sure. Um, but I think, I think it's an easy answer, but it's, it's not the right answer sometimes. I mean, yeah. in, in some instances it is right. So if you have an aging fleet and you're in a situation where, or if you're in a situation where you can scale, Right. To say, okay, we're going to add a truck to the fleet. Now we also have the workforce that can support it. And we have customers that we can service with it. If you can turn it into an asset, if you can turn it into a revenue generator, of course, beautiful. Right. The answer isn't always no either. So while it's not always yes, it's not always no either. It's usually somewhere in the middle. If you can make it make money, then whatever it is, a truck, a, a piece of equipment or whatever it is, right? Tools, that sort of thing. If they can make you money, if they can be an asset, not a liability, they don't cost you money. That probably is a good place to put it. Absolutely. Absolutely. As with anything though, you know, your mileage may vary sort of thing. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, every answer, it needs to be tailored to the one asking it. Yeah. And that's, that's the tough thing about, um, you know, I don't, um, always you know when we get questions sometimes so like you know get any online questions and if mm-hmm. it's like i hate sounding like an attorney sometimes because the <laughs> question the, the answer to most questions has to be it depends yeah and i can give you some generalities or i can you know but like 
there's a sure. lot of information we need to be able to give you the answer sure or some potential answers and you know with every decision there's pros and cons to each and like which one's going to be the best but there could be multiple it's kind of like when you were taking a test and it's like all these answers are correct choose the most correct answer and it's like, <laughs> okay well fantastic yeah um well but, and it depends so we talked about this a little bit before depends what area you're in Right. So, you know, some people will be <laughs> the question a lot of times is I haven't been paid. What do I do? And some guys are like, well, do you just go rip those gates right off of there? Those are your gates. Like, well, no. Well, wait a minute. Like, in, <laughs> that's probably theft in the state of Missouri. That's theft. Um, but there's answers that while they may fly in some jurisdictions or states or whatever, they don't yeah. necessarily fly in others. Yep. And another thing we talked about too is the answer also could vary depending on just how how your business is structured, right? What the legal entity of your business is. Yep. You know, an answer to a sole proprietor could very much be different than the answer to someone that's structured as a corporation or an LLC or you know, yeah, that's however. Yep. So that's blanket answers uh, are sometimes could probably probably be more dangerous than they are helpful. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So that's that's a tough thing. And so that's you know generally when we uh, so like you know I speak at the Mister Fence Academy every so often, and uh, you know when we do things like that, it's like all right, look, we're talking to a large audience and a lot of people, and I'm sure. it, I can't give you specifics about your situation, but we offer a free thirty minute integration call. So like for the for the people in the audience, give us a call. We'll schedule a free thirty minute call, and so that way you know the the direct the questions that you have that are directed to you and your business, I'm able to ask you more questions to get you know to hopefully give you a better answer as opposed sure. to. A, a blanket answer that feels like a segue but it's not like <laughs> so steve steve posted this right as you started talking about it, it was a great discussion uh does andrew have a podcast or a book andrew where can people reach out to you to learn more a more tailored answer yeah so we um we don't have a podcast mm -hmm. i'm i'm working on a book okay um we you know i we have our website. We have educational yep. content there. We just what is what is the website for those? It's, it's Atlas Financial Strategies. A T L A S Atlas Financial Strategies dot com. Yep. Um, Mark, we, can you pull that up. Throw it in the chat. We just started a YouTube page. I mean, okay. like just started. So we nice. got like five videos up or whatever, right? So. <laughs> I think we've exploded to like four subscribers or something. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, I mean, sure, we, sure. We just started it like a couple weeks ago. Nice. Um, but we have a couple dozen in queue that are working, that are getting worked on. Yeah. You know, we have a couple hundred more of, you know, concepts and things that were anyway. So, um, you know, our YouTube page, which is just Atlas financial strategies on YouTube, okay. you can find it there. We'll post videos that, um, you know, hopefully are helpful, but. And you're active on social media. That's where we found each other yep. was on social media. Yeah, so my my personal Facebook page, um, you know, anybody who wants to connect, that's probably one of the better ways because you can just, you know, just friend request me. You can, you know, message me, whatever. I'm I like to be available to people. So if you have questions, comments, whatever, I'm I'm happy to be a resource. Very good, very good. Well, guys, I appreciate you guys tuning in, Andrew. I thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's, we have gone way past the hour mark. And I appreciate <laughs> Sorry it. about that. Yeah. No, no, I appreciate it. 
I'm the one that gets to talking. Like you don't need to apologize. It's I, I look up and I'm like, okay, we're getting close to an hour, but one more thing I'd like to cover. And then next thing you know, it's like, oh, it's an hour and a half. Yep. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. we should probably be respectful of everyone's time here. So yeah, but well, appreciate you having me, man, very of much. Course. Of course, of course. Guys, if you're watching this on a replay and you've got questions, still leave them in the comments below. I could forward them to Andrew. Andrew, maybe you watch the comments too for a little bit or something like that. Uh, we can get your questions to Andrew and get them answered uh, in the chat. If you're watching in the chat, we've got Andrew's YouTube channel. So if you click over there, give him a subscribe. Those are always good. And you could also interact with him. The nice thing about YouTube is you can interact fairly well uh, in the chat there as well. Mm -hmm. So, Andrew, again, thank you so much. Thank you, Joe. Guys, I appreciate you watching. As always, Joe Everest, the fence expert, reminding you that good fences make good neighbors. And I'll catch you next week.